White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 559. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. All right, Andy Fix is here. I'm Van Allen Plexico. You are. I'm Van Allen Plexico. I'm here. It's time to start season two of the Babylon 5 Review Podcast from White Rocket Entertainment. And here we go. So, we've made it through season one, Andy. What do you think? Uh, yeah, it's exciting. I, I knew what changes were coming for season two. So, I was, I mean, I, I at first was looking forward to season two getting here. Then as, as we got into season one, I was kind of sad to see season one go away. But now this starts a whole new chapter, and it's, it's exciting. And it starts off with a bang, too, so... Yeah, it's almost a whole new show, and I, I have uh, comments to that effect as we go along. We have lots to talk about. One thing to, to note up front is that we were, you know, with the first season, especially the first half of the first season, you had a lot of standalone-ish episodes. And we're still going to get that in season two to a certain degree, but we were able to do three episodes per podcast with season one. I think we learned pretty well at the end of season one. We can't really do that anymore. So, right, we've we've dialed it back to two. So going forward, going forward, we will be doing two episodes per podcast. And I could even foresee a point in season three, season four, where we may have to just do one. <laughs> I I make no promises right now, but I could see that possibility. So we'll see what happens. So yes, I am Van Allen Plexico of White Rocket Entertainment, and I am joined as always by Andy Fix. Uh, we are both pulp writers, among other things, but we love Babylon 5, and we have reviewed every episode of season one, plus the movie The Gathering, the pilot movie thing, and we did a special episode last time with special guests Nathan Laws and Bobby Polite. Looking back at all of season one. So if you haven't heard that, go check that out. That was a lot of fun. In fact, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it really was. It was good to get their their perspectives, and they they kind of I feel like they pretty much agreed with us uh, most of the way. It's 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 been a little while, but I I feel like there was general agreement that season one is underrated. Does that seem about right? That seems very accurate. Yeah, and we discovered that. We, you and I discovered that for ourselves, and then and they agreed with us. So, all right. Well, now everything changes, as we were warned by uh, Commander Sinclair, saying nothing's the same anymore. Indeed, nothing's the same anymore because uh, season two is almost like a whole new show. We've been alluding to that for the folks that are listening to our show and watching for the first time. We don't do spoilers. Uh, until the very end of the pro- of the episode, we'll give a spoiler warning and do spoilers for, for episodes beyond where we are now. But we have been alluding to the fact that the show really does change, and certainly no change bigger than Commander Sinclair leaving 
and Captain Sheridan showing up. So I have a few comments about that. I'm sure you do too. Uh, a couple of quick notes. Remember, if you want to support this program for as little as a dollar a month, uh, though whatever you feel like, it'd be great. But as little as a dollar a month, go to www.b5review.com. www.b5review.com. All the episodes to date are easily accessible there. And there's a nice button that says become a patron. You click on that and you get the special features like you got our um, season one episode review, our, our, our season one in review episode a week early. Okay. And you get other things as we go along that we're going to be doing. And uh, we are on all the various podcast apps and platforms. And I mentioned we have a spoiler section at the end. I think we're good to go. Are you ready to talk about uh, 201? I have two oh. notes I'd like to go over. Yes, sir. First of all, today, the 10th of August, is Claudia Christensen's birthday. Ooh. I thought that was pretty cool. She is still just as beautiful as ever. Absolutely. Um, also, uh, in the last episode we recorded, just you and I, uh, Van had said something. Had uh, I, I made fun of Van for mispronouncing the word IO. <laughs> well, cr- our crack research team here at White Rocket... <laughs> has discovered that the actual pronunciation for IO is EO. So Van was correct, and I was incorrect I, in correcting him. So I, I, I stayed corrected. I thought either one was okay. So I maybe, you know, I didn't think either one of us was wrong, but who knows? Right. <laughs> but um, I'll take it, though. But I, yeah, that's, that's cool. Well, um, I feel like there was another Babylon 5 anniversary that passed. But I can't remember what it was offhand. Oh, but I guess the one thing in the news this week is that Joe Straczynski, the creator of Babylon 5 and the writer of most episodes, has been sort of alluding to the fact that he'd like to, he'd like to be the showrunner for Doctor Who. How crazy would that be? That would be crazy, and it will never happen. Mm. They will not let a non-Brit run that show, I yeah. guarantee you. I understand that, but that's, that's unfortunate simply because it would be so good. Yeah, it, it would be cool. Oh, it would be so Can you just imagine... A Doctor Who series with a JMS kind of Babylon Five flavor to it. I would right. be. It would be so good, but we only it can dream. Be. Yeah, I agree with you though. All right, you want to get into two hundred one points of departure? I'm ready. All right. So the first episode of season two, which originally aired on November second, nineteen ninety four. Um, by the way, also the year that the runaway moon almost destroyed the earth on Thundar the Barbarian. I didn't know that. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. It is. It is. Um, a, this is production number 201. And as we're going to see, they pretty much stick to the production number when airing them this season, at least early on. You know, the, the first season was all over the map. You know, they would, you know, it would go like. 104, 107, 102. It was just all over the place. But uh, and in fact, Chrysalis was was filmed like halfway through the season because we talked about how Mr. Morden had never they'd never met him before in real life, and he's you know right. <laughs> so that was cool. But this season kind of seems to go in order at least early on. Uh, this episode was originally called Chrysalis Part Two, but when we get to uh, when we get to the next episode, I've got a factoid about that that'll make that clear why it was not called Chrysalis Part 2. And then the summary, I've got the summary here, I'll read it. This is the second season premiere. As a new commander assumes control of the station, a renegade Minbari warship arrives threatening trouble. That's pretty much 
And in fact, hardly any of the main cast is in this episode. Right. And, and I if noticed you, that. And if you count Sheridan almost as a guest star, because this is his first appearance, <laughs> I think you only have two. I think uh, Ivanova and Franklin. Yep. That's it. Yeah, the, the, so, none of the ambassadors make an appearance. Uh, mm-hmm. Only uh, Lanier, the assistant ambassador, Garibaldi's oh, yeah, out. Yeah, Garibaldi's not available. And Yeah, you're right. right. I forgot about Lanier. Lanier is very important this episode. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Lanier gains more importance as the, the seasons continue. So He does. Yeah, he's, I mean, I would say he's the most prominent and important of the assistants. Veer is a close second. And later, Veer becomes, I would argue, and I won't say how or why or anything, I think Veer becomes important later. But yeah. for most of the series, I think Lanier is the most important of the... Uh, and we won't even... <laughs> Jakar's assistant is a whole other story that we're going to get to. Man, that's just a mess. Um, yeah. Let me see. A couple of quick things. we got notable guest stars this episode. Robin Sachs as Hedron. I don't think he's called Hedron in the episode, but later I think he appears again and they say he's Hedron. I always wonder if his first name is Max. Um, <laughs> we have Richard Grove as Kalane, the former second-in-command, now captain of the Trigati. And we have Robert Foxworth. I, I believe this is his first appearance as General Haig. It is. And it always makes me laugh that he's General Haig because I keep thinking he's working in the Nixon administration. But uh, right, <laughs> that was that was Al Haig, not uh, not General Haig. That was a different General. He Haig. was right. He was also in the uh, um, Reagan administration. He was. Didn't he like? Didn't he like yes. uh, try to take over the government when Reagan was shot? He did. When Reagan, you're, this is this. Look at Andy. Look at the big brain on Andy. Yeah, when when Reagan was shot in '81. Al Haig was Secretary of State, and he was running around saying, I'm in charge, I'm in charge, until somebody pointed out he's like seventh. Right. <laughs> so he was not, in fact, in charge. But uh, but um, um, but he was also an important figure in the uh, – I think he's the one that, that went to Nixon and said, you're going to lose the impeachment, you need to resign. Yeah. And uh, so he was important in both administrations. Uh, we do get new cast members, Bruce Boxleitner as John Sheridan. Robert Russler as Warren Keffer. We're going we're gonna to talk about that in a minute. Hold that thought. Mary Kay Adams takes over the role of Natoth from Julie Caitlin Brown for a variety of issues. Again, we will talk about that in a minute. Right. And this is the third different actress so far to play Jakar's assistant in the space of one season and one episode. Was she, was she in this episode? I thought she got introduced next episode. Or is that this episode she got no, introduced? She, I'm pretty sure she's in this one, yeah. She is, yeah. you're right. Yep, yeah. She's in this one, too. Because she's at the council meeting when it's all, it's like, it's right. Londo and the assistants, and Londo's mad. Yeah, yeah. She has much more uh, to do next episode. Yeah, but still doesn't say very much. No. Um, all right, so do you have any other sort of introductory thoughts or points you want to make before we get into the categories here? I don't. I, uh, the only thing I, I want to add is it looks like that they really upped the budget for the second season. Um, it, it, it was noticeable right from the get-go. And, and I don't remember it being like that when I was watching it, you know, mm-hmm. when it first aired. But the CGI looks sharper, more detailed. Um, Babylon 5 looks a lot more texture and, and, and stuff to it. The costumes look better. I mean, even the sets look better. Even the, even the, the much-hated uh, set that we always talk about, the, uh, the, uh, the room where they have their meetings in, 
that actually even looked a little bit more improved. So I that, that's something that I wasn't expecting, and it, it, it was I noticed it right off the bat. It is kind of disturbing and disappointing that like Sports Center has a better <laughs> setup, desk setup than like the Galactic Ambassadors, <laughs> you know, United Nations in space. That's kind of depressing. But you know, now one thing I do remember—I didn't have this in my notes—but one thing I do remember hearing about this that you what, now that you mention it is that JMS said that they had up the lighting. He said that they had put all this detail into the sets and costumes and all but it was getting lost because the show was too dark so they changed the color palette a little bit and they upped the lighting and it i think it makes a difference i think that's part not all but part of what you're what you're referring to yeah it does cool all right so let's get into categories a little bit and and i think we've got plenty to talk about here what was your high point of this episode andy this is the high point for me uh, yeah i have two high points Mm -hmm. um first of all was the agamemnon I'm, I I, you know me, I, I, I'm a ship geek, so, and that is one of my favorite all-time sci-fi capital ships. I mean, it, it's it's a oh. thing of it's 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 beautiful. It's yes. it's chunky and it's it's you know it's it's low tech compared to everything else, but it it it's just gorgeous. It's and and they really showed it off here. I mean, they they did a nice slow flyby and all that stuff. There, yep, there you go. <laughs> I'm doing a pin with a USB drive going around it. <laughs> That, you know what it is? I've, the, the second I saw it, because it's got that cool rotating section that makes it so much more interesting. The second yeah. I saw it back in 94, I said, it's the Leonov from 2010, the year yep. we make contact, but but as a battleship. Right. And it's gorgeous. Yeah, it's I, I did a, God, back in like 1999, when I, I, I did a thing on my website, like the top, my top 10 favorite spaceships. And... Number one, we haven't seen... No, no, no. Number one is the Eagle from Space 1999. I just... I love it. It's an industrial helicopter in space. It, it could be built tomorrow. Right. I love it. Number two, we haven't seen yet, and I can't talk about it. It's a spoiler. <laughs> you probably know what that means. But number yeah. three is the Earth Alliance uh, Omega-class destroyers. Oh, man, those things are cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and they're so when, good. When it, when it was introduced, I mean... It, it could have been an entirely different show. It, it, I would have loved to have seen the whole, like a, a Star Trek episode where, you know, Sheridan's flying around the Agamemnon, you know, solving problems throughout oh. the galaxy. That I mean, it, it looked like it picked up from, like, uh, some other series that was brought in. It, it was kind of cool. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. That and uh, um, Warren Keffer, I, I love the introduction of him. Um, wasn't a big deal, but I love the character. So, okay. Yeah. Interesting. We may have a... We may have some classes there. I don't know. We'll have to see. I wrote the. Well, I wrote my on. notes. I, I'm a Top Gun nerd, so you know any anything to do. You know he's very Top Gunny. So no, absolutely. I I can't. Part of it about him, I can't say because it would be a spoiler. In fact, I'm going to go and make a note here at the at the bottom uh, for the spoiler section uh, about Keffer. There, you're hearing on the fly. I just did a called an audible, Andy. <laughs> right there on the fly. Um, yeah, no, I, I we'll talk about Keffer in a couple of times then because I've, I've got things to say about him that are not spoilers and things to say that are that are. But um, okay. but uh, yeah, well I know it gave you a chance to see the, the Star Furies. Everybody loves it. I, I'm the, I I like the Star Furies less than I like them, but I like them less than like everybody else I know that's a Babylon Five fan. Everybody else I know that's a Babylon Five fan just loves those things. I'm like eh, okay. 
right. <laughs> Ain't bad. Um, but I can see the appeal for sure. Um, all right. So, so your high point was the introduction of the Omega and then Kefir. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Um, my high point was I love when, because, all right, I'm going to make a whole thing tonight out of Bruce Boxleitner's performance in these two episodes. That's probably my big takeaway from these two episodes is Bruce Boxleitner's performance, but we'll get to that. I thought when he, and I have Rathin here, it was not Rathin, it was Hedron. When he and Hedron, when they clash, that to me was my favorite part of the whole episode because Robin Sachs is such a good British highbrow actor and he's playing this alien with a funny head, but yet he brings every bit of gravitas to it. And he says, and the day when a man like you is put in charge of this place is a dark day indeed. And I'm just, and, and Sheridan looks like he's going, I could rig up another nuke, man. <laughs> we could blow up another Minbari ship, you know what I'm saying here. He just, yeah. Sheridan is like, you know, he's been smiling, Johnny, smiling, Johnny. I'm going to nuke your butt, Johnny. He kind of yeah. goes back and forth, and I really appreciate that. So that's my he, note here is that my high point is that they do such a good job in this episode of making Sheridan in some scenes is likable and warm and everybody's buddy, and then turn right around, and he is so potentially dangerous, and Bruce just walks a line between those two personality traits and emotions completely believable, believable, effective. Yep. Absolutely. He brings so much charisma to the role uh, yes. that, he, like you said, he is just completely believable as either the, the you know, avuncular uh, commander and captain of everybody and also as the complete, you know, uh, uh, I, I almost said an, a bad word, but the, the uh, bet, um, you know, the, the powerhouse guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, like I said, we used to call him Smiling Johnny, but he's also the guy that loves to say, break out the nuclear weapons, I'm going to send them straight to hell. And yeah. uh, I think we actually, I have a note about, we get our first straight to hell in this episode. He wastes, yeah. he wastes no time yeah. playing his playing his straight to hell card. We, we also got a, that's a need to know and you don't need to know. <sighs> uh, see, if JMS did do Doctor Who, within the first three episodes, that would be, that would be spoken. There's we're gonna before this is done before we're done we're gonna make up like a top ten list of JMSisms and that one is definitely on the list uh, that one's definitely um, there are others but we'll, yeah. but moving on uh, what was your low point of this episode uh, my low point was uh, Colleen not the not so much the character just the the actor they got to play him okay. and you know I I understand why they went with him he's physically imposing he looks like he could be a um, you know a, a warrior cast. But then when he opens his mouth, it just kind of ruins the whole effect because he's kind of got a nasally high-pitched voice, and it, it, it didn't fit. It didn't carry any gravitas at all. Yeah. And his, his delivery was so matter-of-fact, and it didn't work for me. Yeah, and that's I, nitpicking, mind you. But Well, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm with you about 90% of the way. I, I thought that the one thing he was effective at was the was was evoking – affecting uh, um, an air of my plan is perfect, can't go wrong, I have utter confidence, I'm just going to follow it step by step. And I thought he did a fairly good job with that. But, yeah, when he had to actually interact with people, it, it kind of got a little crackly. So, yeah. Right. I, I, like, I like the character, just not so much the actor. 
I thought his second in command that was actually captain captaining the ship. I thought she did a bang up job. I, she was more intimidating than he was. And and the one at the end that came in and that came in and got him. I yeah yeah. Of of the three commanding Minbari officers, yeah, he was definitely the weakest one, which is weird because he was like you said he was kind of the physically imposing one. Right. But it just he just didn't really back it up. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so that was your low point. My there weren't a lot of low points in these two episodes, to be honest with you. But I really felt like the way that they handled Keffer, Warren Keffer is he just kind of plops in from out of nowhere and everybody's like, hey, hey, look, Keffer, how's it going? That's one of those things where in another show, you'd be like, wait a minute, this guy's an alien that is making everybody think <laughs> that he's been here forever and there's something going on, man. I'd be highly, as a, as a viewer, I'm highly suspicious of him. I'm like, wait, right. where, did, where did we ever see this guy before? You know, At least when other characters come on the show later, they come on the station. Whereas Keffer, we are to understand he's been around all this time, hanging out with the big shots, and we just never saw him. So, again, that is a nitpick, too. But uh, there was a little bit of a Rick and Morty air to it where, you know, it's like, oh, Mr. Poopy Pants has been here with us all these years. Oh, hey, how you doing? And you're like, wait a minute, where'd that guy come from? He's not part of the cast. Oh. I, you know, I only have a vague knowledge of Rick and Morty, so I did not get that at all. But I, I'll agree with you. I had to go out and do a crash course after Loki. Everybody was saying that Loki was based on Rick and Morty, and so I'm like, all right, well, i got to watch it then. And I've watched the first two seasons, and yeah, that's a show. Uh, it's, it's, it's got its moments. Um, okay, well, we got the, we got the, uh, the Ari Benzane Oren Zenta overacting award. I got to tell you, I had a hard time finding anybody that overacted in this episode, although maybe. What did you come up with? I, I, I couldn't find anybody for this one. I mean, there was a, a, a couple people, like the, the actress playing the Toph. I thought her delivery was... And that's only in comparison to the lady who, who the actress from last season. The, she would have been fine if she didn't have to follow in her footsteps. That I mean, it, she was just so mousy and meek, and just she had thing. zero personality. Zero. Yeah. She could have been a, a. They could have taken a life cast, a mold <laughs> of Julie Caitlin Brown, and stuck her there, and and then he would have been yeah. Well, all right. JMS did say they somebody asked him back in the day why didn't you just bring in a new character and he said well we thought about just doing the murphy brown thing where we have a new assistant every couple of episodes but what had happened was they had had they had had julie caitlin brown's natoff be so instrumental to stuff that jacar knew that they they needed his assistant to be somebody who knew all that stuff right so he just recast rather than bring in a new character but Obviously, that doesn't work out too well. No. No. The, the, the only person I considered for this, I, I would give her the underacting award, honestly. The only, but we, and we've had a couple of those. The only person I actually considered for maybe overacting was Robin Sachs because he does chew him some scenery. But, <laughs> yes, he but, does. But that character needed to do that, I thought. Yes, like, he did. It- I, I'm willing to accept, um, you know, uh, William Shatner, um, Al Pacino level scenery chewing, if it is appropriate to the role, and I thought it was here, and if it's well done, yeah, and he was—I yeah. thought he was good. Yeah, I thought he was fantastic. He—he—he he, he had a—you could tell that he was restraining himself, like when he was doing that line that I delivered so brilliantly a while ago. 
<laughs> he was not like yelling it. He was just saying it like, and when a man like you, you know, he was keeping it in like, oh, I'd, you could tell they both want to rip each other's throat out. But yeah, were, which yeah. is impressive. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, I, like I say, he chews the scenery more than anybody else this episode, but it works. It's okay. Oh, now this is going to be interesting. And I, I, I suspect I know where you're going to go with both episodes on this, but let's find out. We're up to the most Babylon 5 scene for uh, points of departure, and I'm really curious what you, what you have. I, mine was when Lanier tells Ivanova and Sheridan uh, why the Minbari surrendered. I mean, that was a huge, I mean, that was just a huge bomb. You know, that, that oh, explains yeah. the entire mystery of the first season. That explains mm-hmm. everything going forward. I thought that that was, and that sets up so much, you know, so, so, so many of the, oncom- the, the upcoming episodes and stuff. So I thought that was, that was the most B5 moment for me. There were a lot in this episode, though. That's true. Yeah, and I love <laughs> I love that when Lanier explains all this stuff about souls leaving the bodies and going to whatever, and then it shows like Sheridan and Ivanova. Was Ivanova there? Was it Sheridan? And, yeah, okay. and Sheridan and Ivanova. And, yeah. and they're just kind of like, blink, blink. <laughs> Is he serious? <laughs> like, like, wait. And then you're going to like pop out and be like, ah, gotcha, I gotcha. You, you believe that? But no, he was serious. And I'm like, okay. Um, yeah, and and JMS, of course, over the years has had to argue about just because people are like, well, how can you have you know souls be a thing in a science fiction show as opposed to like a fantasy show or a religious show? And he's like, well, just because the Minbari believe it doesn't mean it's real. Right. In other words, I'm not saying it's actually happening. They're saying it's happening. So you do with that what you will. I'm like, yeah, that's fair. That's fair completely. And I think that uh, there was an exchange between Ivanova and, and Sheridan where, where she even asked him, do you even believe that? And he goes, well, they believe that. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah, 100%. Uh, my most Babylon 5 scene, like you said, there's a lot to choose from. I thought the, uh, the flashback to the Battle of the Line, where you see the Grey Council aboard their big cruiser watching the, you know, the last of Earth's defenses crumble, and they got those gray, big, bulky outfits on, that's re- visually that's a really a Babylon Five moment. And, yeah, um, and and um, and in fact, JMS even said one of my favorite sequences from this episode is the stuff aboard the Mimbari cruiser at the Battle of the Line. The shot surrounding Delin and the other Mimbari gives it a very godlike aspect. Just wonderful, and I would agree. It's like they're gods on Mount Olympus looking down at Earth that's now at their disposal, you know. Right. They were so nonchalant about plucking a human. Oh, just go grab one and take a look at him. And I found it interesting that. You know, a lot of people think that uh, Sinclair was the chosen one for for something special about him, something having to do with him. Mm-hmm. He only got to be the chosen one because he was the closest dude to the, the <laughs> ship, and oh, they just chose him. And that, ab- that's what started the whole prophecy right there. So that's it wasn't anything special about Sheridan. It was just that he was he was the most convenient one to, to snatch. And that... Now that we've gotten to it, I can say the dark, dist- I believe, because it's been a few years, but the dark, distorted mirror of Babylon 5 that I've been mentioning, and a couple of people have actually asked me about since I mentioned it, that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the moment that was different. They, they either uh, got okay. somebody else or they didn't get anybody. So Sinclair, you know, I guess dies at the Battle of the Line or doesn't win, you know, doesn't change the course right. of the outcome. Cineville doesn't commit suicide, so there's no Kalein in charge. The Trigati is just a regular ship. That's where Cineville yep. came from that I mentioned. Cineville is a very big and important character in The Dark Distorted Mirror because he never commits suicide. Gotcha. So this, is, this is that moment where everything changes. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, that, and I, and I do like the idea that 
that they surrendered then. Just imagine the Greek god suddenly surrendering to humans. You just can't imagine it. That's what it was like when the Minbari right. surrendered and they can't rep. Oh, oh, and the other thing, I'm just, I, thoughts are coming to me out of left and right faster than I can process them. I apologize. Um, I was going to mention, I'd never thought about this before until now, but we see that Hedron was one of the, uh, one of the um, great council there at the Battle of the Line, right? We see him in the flashback. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what a brilliant idea they had in the first season when they show the nine to have them with hoods. Because now you can bring in any actor you want and say, oh, he was one of the nine. She was one of the nine. Right. Yeah, they've been there all along because you never saw their face. Yep. You didn't need Robin Sachs in season one. Oh, he was there. <laughs> I love it. It's brilliant. Yeah. Oh, made them mysterious looking, too. But it also, you don't have to go out and find those exact actors again. And, and you don't want to bring in expensive actors just to be standing there. So they just had extras, you know, in the hoods, and then you bring in the actor when you need them. Anyway, okay. I just thought that was really smart. Um, favorite character moment. What did, what did you think was your favorite? There's, there's quite a few in this one. But, but again, there's not many characters to choose from. Right. My favorite was when uh, Dr. Franklin and Ivanova were talking about uh, um, Garibaldi. And Ivanova says, I'll say a prayer for him tonight. And Franklin says, he's agnostic. And Ivanova counters with, then I'll say half a prayer for him tonight. <laughs> I thought that was that was both funny and and poignant. I thought that was a, a cool little character moment between the three of them, or two yeah. and a half of them. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I did like that line. I always get the sense that JMS comes up with those kind of lines from stuff that he and his friends or his wife or whatever would say to each other. In fact, I think that yeah. one, of, one of those lines was, yeah. There was, there was another line that somebody says in this, either in this episode or the next one, and it was he said that Catherine Drennan used to say it all the time. Oh, it was the, I I'm, I'm feel like I'm using up karma at a vast accelerated rate. He that was this that, episode, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, in fact, that was my funniest moment. So let me go ahead Same and jump here. ahead. <laughs> All right, so we got we knocked that one out, and he said that that is something that um, that um, Catherine Drennan would say all the time. I have another one, so I'll save that. Okay, my favorite character moment is probably Ivanova trying to deal with things after Sinclair has been gone for five days. Yeah, she's got the aliens all yelling, screaming, and she's yelling back at them and threatening to put them in the fusion reactor and. <laughs> <sighs> We always love Ivanova on our show, and uh, right. when she has good stuff. To, to when she has good material, we enjoy it, right? So okay, so we agree. Uh, oh, I, I I did. Oh, Leslie, we've already talked about Sheridan. Yeah, favorite character moment. Sheridan has some nice moments too. I, I my point was, I felt like Bruce was still figuring out the character in this episode, still figuring out how far to push things. He's over exaggerated a little bit. By the second episode, he's got it down. Yeah, yeah. agreed. It took him took him one episode. To get a feel for the tone, yep. you know, of the character. Um, although I, I do have one nitpick about that when we get to season, episode two. So we both agree the funniest moment is Ivanova paying off karma at a vast accelerated rate. Do you have another one or any yeah. others? Nope, that's the one I picked. All right, I, I have to add another Ivanova thing. It, it wasn't like fall over funny, but I, I, I laugh every time I see it. When Sheridan arrives early, and so she comes running down to the hangar bay or whatever to greet him. Yeah, and there's no honor guard, and that poor lady security guard is standing there. Yeah. Ivana like, grabs her by the arm and drags her over, and I love it too because Ivanova then immediately salutes, and you can see that lady start to, and then she doesn't because yeah. she's a security officer. She doesn't salute the military chain of command the way that Ivanova would. So she's like, right. oh, 
She starts to because Ivanova does, and then she puts her hand down. But I just love how Ivanova grabs her by the arm and drags her over like it was planned. You know, poor lady's right. like, that wait, was, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. That was good. Uh, let's see. Do you have any random factoids or notes about this episode? I know we've already th- gone through a bunch. Uh, I don't. I think we, we uh, yeah, we everything I had, I, I pointed out in the beginning. Like yeah. I said, just the just the, the increase in, in the appearance of everything. Mm-hmm. I thought it was cool. That really was. Um all right, I got a few I, things. I, I yeah. think I think this was the first time we saw Babylon Five at night with all the when it was dark and all the lights were on. I I, I think that was the first time we saw that one. It may I could be. be mistaken. Yeah, it may be. It's 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 certainly you see it more now. I think if they yeah. did do it before, it wasn't very often. Yeah, and you, you, there's a there's a cool moment either the I can't remember if it's the end of this one or the next one. These all kind of these two kind of run together for me as they should. Where I'm glad we're doing them both at the same time tonight. Um, yeah. Where you see the station dark outside, and you hear that big band music playing, and then they zoom in on, um, I think it's in both, and you zoom yeah. in on Earhart's, which yep. is the new officers club, where they only play big band music. All right, so a couple <laughs> of things. Uh, I like that in the opening credits of this episode, Delenn still looks the same. Mm-hmm. There's been no change. It's a new picture of her, but she still looks like Delenn, so that's important. And obviously, if people have seen episode two, they understand why. So that's not a spoiler to say she's going to change pretty soon. But they put that in there on purpose because they want to give away. I, you know, a lot of TV shows in, in previous years would have just given it away. You know, they wouldn't have cared to kind of not spoil the audience. Right. I think this is the first time we realize the opening credits will be different every season. And the music will be different every season. And I like, mm-hmm. I like this opening. We have pictures instead of just stars. Uh, we mentioned there were very few regular cast members. I like that uh, Bruce is Star Killer. I like that he has that cool nickname, Star Killer Kid. But he's Star Killer. <laughs> I love how they lost. The Mimbari lost one battle, and even that wasn't really losing a battle. It was just sort of like stepping on a landmine. And for right. that, they're like Star Killer. <laughs> what was he supposed to do? Just were we supposed to lose every? It's like if you know, it's like if Alabama lost one football game, and, and to 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 Auburn or Georgia or something, they're like. They'd be like cheetahs, or well, they actually would. So I can't. That's not a good. That's not a good example. But you know, I think going. that I think the Minbari took the method of the the destruction more yeah. personally than. I mean, if he had killed them in a straight up battle, I think he would have been more honored. But the fact that he used, oh, yeah. you know, he used duplicity to he did. kill them, and that's addressed in a in one of the the standalone movies, I think. Yes, I believe in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only victory we had in the whole damn war, and I'm not about to apologize for it. All right. <laughs> Again, I love we, that go, line. we go from smiling Johnny to send him straight to hell, Johnny. Uh, right. We mentioned and the fact a, that the, the, they have a completely opposite type of commander, you know, in charge yes. of this place. The Minbari are pissed. Oh, they he, did not. They did not. They didn't get asked. They didn't have a say right. in this. They were told who it was. Yeah. Yes. All they did was pay for the thing, man. I guess. I guess in. In 2259, paying for most of the station just buys you one commander veto power. After that, <laughs> you've burned your bridges, and we're going to give you who we want. And, and so, I thought it was interesting that the, the Minwari 
Invest or not the Mumbari official said, I don't recognize your authority because we didn't approve of you. Yeah. It's like, wow, that's an interesting twist. That was. He didn't yeah, I would I would answer your question if I recognized your authority authority, something like that. Yeah, that was really good. Again, I love that guy. Hedron is awesome, uh Robin yeah. Sachs. Um let's see, we see General Haig for the first time, we see the Omega Destroyer for the first time. Um, I love that President Clark chose Sheridan to run Babylon 5, as we were just saying, because he thinks that they think alike and that Sheridan is a tough, uh, gruff. He thinks he's already been Zane. Right. The, President Clark thinks that John Sheridan has already been Zane, and we're going to find out. We're going to find out who John Sheridan is, and that, to me, is one of my favorite things of the series to come, is finding out just who he is and what he really believes and how far he's willing to go for it. And mm-hmm. I think that there's another character. There's an, And I thought about this last night for the first time, or this morning. There's another character on this show that also takes Sheridan. There's a late, This is not a spoiler to say. There's a later episode where somebody says of Sheridan, they thought you were just a jarhead. And that's not an insult to Marines or anything, but what the character means is just like a mindless soldier that does what he's told and won't think for himself and all that. Well, there's another character that I think plans to use Sheridan as a soldier, as a warrior in his cause, and learns he's much more than that. Yep. And I can't say who that character is. Can I? Okay. <laughs> all right. But that's important. Uh, let's see. We get our first straight to hell from Sheridan. Uh, Sinclair being reassigned permanently. I mean, who saw that coming? He was the last person I thought was being set up to leave the show. Right. And and uh, we haven't seen the last of him. That's I, that's an important thing to note. But uh, right. But there's a whole lot of stuff there with Michael O'Hare. I think we may have covered. Yeah. Um, yeah. Had, he had to he had to kind of go. Yeah. Um, Commander Sinclair has been reassigned. When he was 21, Sheridan visited Tibet to meet the new Dalai Lama. That's kind of out of left field. Okay. That sounds like something Sinclair would have done. <laughs> not, not Sheridan, but okay. Uh, we mentioned that Cineval gets a name check again. The Black Star. I love that. I wonder if there's a White Star, Andy. I don't know. Um, uh, Earhart gets a... they got a lot of first appearances. Again, it's like a new show almost. Um, it, it, it had that feel for sure. We find out Sheridan is descended from General Philip John Sheridan of the Union Army in the Civil War, which is interesting mm-hmm. because Bruce Boxleitner played a general in Gods and Generals in the mm-hmm. Civil War. Um, not General Sheridan, though. But not General Sheridan. That would have been funny. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Oh, about Sheridan, JMS says, in the course of the first season, Ivanova, Garibaldi, Jakar, Londo, Delin, and others were all exploded into strong characters. You needed an equally strong character designed to hold his own and be memorable in that August company. Sheridan was designed knowing we had a much elevated playing field around that character. That's wow. Yeah. And then last thing for the note for the for the tidbits, somebody asked, what about Catherine Sakai? And at that time, JMS said, this is the one thread that I'm still trying to decide about. And I guess ultimately, as we talked about before, he gave her over to Catherine Drennan to write To Dream in the City of Sorrows. Right. Where she has a happy ending. I'm going to take a moment for for (laughs) Catherine Sakai. My favorite character that we never see again. Uh, Andy, who won this episode? I have to say uh, Sheridan won the episode because he got the he got a speech in with five minutes to spare. <laughs> and <laughs> he 
he had a lot of great moments. Mm-hmm. Um, he came he came out swinging. You know, he came out strong and a, has a strong personality. Um, didn't back down from anybody, and he saved the day by you know figuring out what the Minbari were up to from the the mm-hmm. trig- was it the Trigato? Trigati. Trigati. So I mean, he yeah he and he showed the crew you know what he was capable of. So I think it totally won that one. Yeah, no doubt about it. This is John Sheridan's episode. Uh, I think I thought Ivana was good. Ivana was close, but but Sheridan won. By the way, Trigati sounds like something you get at Olive Garden. I'd like Trigati with the pom- pomodoro <laughs> sauce on it, please. Thanks, that'd be great. Um, and the, the chef comes out and like kills himself. Uh, <laughs> I gotta know what rating you gave this one. And, and and for our newest our new listeners who don't like season one and just started, a shame on you. Season one is awesome, but b we rate between. 0.0 and 5.0 and we do do 0.5s. So, what was your rating for this episode? I, I waffled on this one back and forth. I think I'm going to go with a 2.5. I mean, it was it the story was was there, but it wasn't compelling. You know, it right. was it was kind of blah. There was a lot of info dump on it. Um, we'll get to that in, in the next one, but yeah, 2.5. Um, it, I, it could be a 3. You know, I, I could go up as far as a 3 because I had some, you know, cool moments and it has, you know, Sheridan coming on board. So, But I, I, I decided 2.5 was where I was going to go. I'm glad that you didn't go higher than me because I was afraid that I was not valuing it enough. But I think that somewhere in the middle there is fair. I think that it had a lot of good stuff, but it wasn't that great of a story. So right. I gave it a 3, but I was very... I'm like, man, is three too low? Is three too high? I'm not really. So I was very iffy on this all the way around. And so basically, I agree with everything you just said. So we'll leave it at that. All right. That was Points of Departure 201. And we're going to get to 202 Revelations in just a second. But first, the only reason that this show and others like it on our network exist is because of patrons, people like you, who are willing to help out for as little as a dollar a month. So, of course, you can do more, and we welcome it to keep our bills paid, to keep our program going, because we have a lot of bills to pay uh, here at White Rocket Studios. And all you have to do again is go to www.b5review.com, b5review.com. Was it reviews? See, I did this again, man. <laughs> I'm going to send them to the wrong place. B5 Review. You said reviews earlier. In the I show. know. I'm so horrible. It's B5 Review. Oh, Lord. Lord, help me. I'm saying it wrong. And I, I wasn't going to try to correct you again because that backfired last time I tried. So. <laughs> Dang it, man. <sighs> I'm going to take that earlier part of this episode and send it straight to hell because um, <laughs> that's not good. www.b5review. Now I'm going to have to go out and, and, and buy www.b5reviews.com and have both of them. <laughs> Redirect. We're going to need thing. more patrons. <laughs> We're going to need another patron to come in and help because I'm I can't I keep screwing this up. Yeah. All right. So go to www.b5review.com and click on the button that says uh, to become a patron and you can help us. Here are the fine folks we always thank who are currently keeping our programs on the air. We have to thank Chris and Clinton Stewart along with Carl Von Drunker, Christopher Burleson, Jeremiah Schumann, got a new one, Patrick Hayes, Samuel Salvatore, Allison Rich, Big Babylon 5 fan, Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, Logan Chilton, Michael Kirshner, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick and Susan Trawick, Trombone Tiger, Willie Carden, and Kangian. By the way, I'm going to see a lot of these people at DragonCon, hopefully coming up in just a few weeks, and we'll talk some Babylon 5 there. 
Uh, a, you falling up. Ben and Eileen Dover. Man, they abuse me being able to put whatever name they want to on there. Ben, ben Bloodworth, Clay Henson, Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Evers. We thank all you people that just put a name. David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, one of our French supporters there. Eric Morgan, uh, Bobby, who was on our show uh, a couple weeks ago. George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming. I hope to, oh God, I hope, I hope to see Jacob and Robin at Dragon Con. They're so cool. John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B, Phil Davis, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf of the Weather Channel, Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, there goes Davis, WDE Richie, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Blake Heron, and Boris the Tiger, Kato the Barner, and Chris the Hilton. Colby Butler, Danny Flack, Darius Benton, David Simpson, Dibama, Earl Ricks, I love Dibama, Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Kenoy, Kevin Mahan, Lane Middleton, Melissa Blackstone, Mike Finley, Algorithm, Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Shannon Butson, Snowdog, Stephen Houston, uh, Harvey, I'm not reading that except on the football show. Tim Pittman, Tony Perry, Alex Wynn, Auburn Elvis, Ben Amos, Ben Riggis, Bill Miner, Brandon Smith, Charles Mooney, Chris Como, Colonel Dad, another, I believe, New Babylon 5 fan, and he has the Egyptian god of frustration as his icon there. That's awesome. Daniel Barnett, Darren Pyle, David Smiley, Donnie Reynolds, Ice Cream Clone, another new one. There's a Boba Fett icon there, so he must be another Babylon 5 fan. Thank, welcome aboard. James Taylor, Jason the Weasel Skull Albrecht of the White Rocket Network, where did I miss somebody? Oh, J- uh, John Stubbs. Sorry, John. And finally, the last few. John Zavachin, Joey Miller, Joseph Eilif, Justin Bean, Kathy Bright. Another person I'm looking forward to seeing at DragonCon. Kenneth Britt Rains, K- Kyle Cram Clams in Clean Clam Cans. 76 Tiger. <laughs> Andy, they're so mean to me. Mark Squire, Matthew Flowers, Mick Vigicana, Paul Bankson, Public Land Owner. Robert Drain, Russell Souther, Ruth and Darren Sutherland. Hope to see them at DragonCon. Spanky, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, Brent Rumble, Chris, and our one-time and anonymous donors. We thank you all. And that's quite a few, but we need more. We need more. So go to www.b5review.com. Click on the button. Uh, Andy, you heard me mention several times there, DragonCon is coming up Labor Day weekend. I will be there. I'll have a table there. I'm on all kind of panels. I'm on a panel for the military science fiction track called The Women of Babylon 5. Nice. That'll be fun because of the insights that you and I have discovered, particularly about Ivanova. Very cool. I I will represent. All right. I'm excited. Yeah. I'm not sure if I'm moderating that one or not, but if I am, I will certainly steer us toward Ivanova as often as possible because we know now just how important. She was the glue that held the show together for so long. All right. Let's, you ready to get into 202 Revelations? I am. You know, that, that whole list of names right there was the highlight of the show for me. I just love <laughs> listening to you read some of those names. <laughs> I read that list a lot. I could read that list in my sleep because I read yeah. it every Monday night for, the, for our football show. And, I, yeah. and then I read it every two weeks on our show. And then occasionally on the Bond show, the James Bond shows or the other ones, so, uh, or the movie reviews. So um, I, I keep waiting every time for Spanky. Yeah, Spanky. <laughs> Oh, man, I've been doing that for a couple of years now. We've got some folks that have been our patrons for a nice long time, and we really – I think we started doing the Patreon thing in 2016 and had like two or three patrons, and now we've got, I think, 119. So bless their hearts, man. This is what keeps the wheels turning here and keeps us doing these shows. Yep. Uh, I used to write a lot more books. Now I do a lot more podcasts because the, the there's a lot bigger audience. I, yeah, go, where well, the, yeah. I go where the audience is. 
That might change with your most recent book. That looks like it's a, it's going to be a hot one. Well, it's a football book, so it has a built-in right. audience. That's the thing, yeah. yeah. But it is doing really well. Yeah, it was number three. Our new uh, football book, nobody cares listening right now, but I'd say it debuted at number three on the new uh, sports books on Amazon last week. So that was awesome. Nice. I wasn't even in town. I, I was on my phone looking at it from uh, Monticello. All right. 202 Revelations. And now this really is part three of two <laughs> of Chrysalis, right? <laughs> I mean, chrysalis and this; these two all just kind of go together as one thing, and I, and I have a point about that. So um, uh, let's see. Do you want to do a summary for this one since I did the other one? Yeah, I guess. The summary for this one is going to be pretty short because there's not a whole lot going on. Yeah. Um, Jakar comes back with information on his uh, his quest to find out what happened to his, his outpost that was destroyed last season, and... Um, Delenn makes a reappearance. Yes, she does. So, and what yeah, yeah, boy, boy, howdy. Hmm. So, and then there's stuff that happens. So, yeah, yeah, really, really. So, oh wait, and, and Garibaldi wakes up. That's kind of a big thing. Oh yeah, we Garibaldi get Michael wakes back. up and 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 they they discuss what happened to him. And one of my, I don't, I don't know if it's a high point or I don't think it's a point I've noted, but it is, I think, a point of note is when he wakes up and sees Cher and he says, "I don't know you," yeah. and I love that. <laughs> I love that because, yeah. again, prior to this show, a character like that would have been like, oh, you're the new commander. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll get, just like Sheridan says, I'm sure we'll get along just fine. Garibaldi would be like, yeah, okay, looking forward to working with you. No, he's like, I don't know you. Yeah. You know, what's going on here? I mean, you can imagine how paranoid Garibaldi must be after everything's happened to him. He wakes up and right. his, his buddy Sinclair is gone, and this guy he doesn't know, handpicked yeah, by Clark. Right. I mean, he wakes up. I mean, he 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 doesn't know everything. That I mean, last thing he knew, he was shot in the back. Then he wakes up, and this other dude's here. So yeah, mm-hmm. he that would have to trigger your paranoia. It's like, Ooh. wait a minute. No kidding. This episode originally aired November 9th, nineteen ninety four, and is two o two. So there again, we're sticking with order. It was a. It, this really is Chrysalis Part Two because the uh, that's the thing is I think that. This is Chrysalis Part 2. The problem was you needed points of departure to bring Sheridan in, so they kind of just did a whole episode of Sheridan arriving, and once he's there, then you can do Chrysalis Part 2. You, you, you needed that sort of interruption right. to get him situated. So, Right. Um, originally, JMS planned to have everything from these two episodes in one episode, but it just was too much, so he, he broke it in half, and I think that was probably for the wise. I wanted to note, though, I had a, I made a note here. Again, I'm thinking about these things more than when I've watched it in the past. And this is what occurred to me. I want your opinion on it. Up until this point, we knew that Babylon 5 was doing something with longer-form storytelling, but it still didn't feel like every episode was a step. You know what I mean? There were, there were a lot of episodic episodes we talked about. Right. Because they did it this way, this is essentially a three-part episode. Right. I mean, because after after Revelations, we're on to other stuff. The techno mages are going to show up, and blah blah blah. blah. But these three episodes together are really a three parter. I mean, they're really a three parter, and because of that, but yet they weren't labeled as to be continued. These three gave the show relatively early on that feel of every episode is just another installment in like. Roots or the Winds of War or Shogun, as opposed to Star Trek. Right, I agree. That felt it, I felt like it. That, that was important that it worked out that way. That we got these three when we did. 
Right. And this episode in particular, it felt like there was they were focusing the audience on what is important, what plot lines we're bringing in and and stringing together for you to to follow. So pay attention to these plots. Yes. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. And and then like I say, we kind of get away from them for a little bit, but this these three episodes together are setting up all the big percolating in the background and occasionally yep. Occasionally erupting forth and then percolating again. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It, it's definitely setting the stakes. And the other observation that I had, <clears throat> stakes. The other observation that I had was that in the first season, there was a sense of a little bit of fun, a little bit of intrigue, and an air of mystery. I thought that the I thought that the 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 leading, overwhelming kind of sense in the background, the tone, the mood was mystery. What happened with Sinclair? What happened with the Battle Line? What's happened with the Mimbar? I feel like these episodes change that to the continuous mood or theme or atmosphere we have now is really, to me, more of dread. Bad mm-hmm. stuff has been happening, and you're like, oh, gosh, we uh, Clark. Clark assassinated you know, maybe the president. And... Oh man, the the Minbari are getting upset, you know, and 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 oh, the, there's something out there in the darkness, you know, there's something moving, and this these episodes really conjure up this this air of it's not so much as mystery anymore as it is, you know, the monster coming out of the closet or something or coming down the hallway right. more. Right. Season one was almost just a, a prelude to yeah. the the main story, and now it's setting out the main story. And yeah, you, you captured it accurately. It is a sense of dread. It's like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? Yes. Yeah, it, it was like you, you look for the next episode in season one to try to find an answer. You look for the next episode now to try to find some hope. <laughs> Everybody's not going to die. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, Lord. Um, yeah, it just, dread just hangs over this episode, uh, over these, over season, the beginning of season two, like a black cloud. It's about to turn into a storm. Uh, let's see, some notable guest stars. We did have a few guest stars this episode. I've got to say Ed Wasser is more, and he always gets last in the guest credits because it's alphabetical, but he's first in our little black hearts, right? We love Ed Wasser as Morton. I love him. Absolutely, e- e- yep. Evil Rod Serling rocks and rolls. We love him. That uh, creepy smile. <laughs> oh, God, he had that smile working overtime this time. Uh, Beverly Leach as Lizzie, John's sister. And that makes me have to ask, I, I have to say this in non-spoilery ways, isn't there another female character that's close to Sheridan later that's also named Lizzie? Uh, I feel like this isn't the only Lizzie in his past or present. I'm going to go down to the spoiler section and, and make a note. All right. Yeah, you'll have to jog my memory on that All one. Right. Oh, I will. <laughs> I will. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, Macaulay Bruton as Garibaldi's aide, Jack. Glad to see him back. Good continuity. Yeah. David Crowley as Lou Welch. And, I love Lou. And Gary McGurk as President Clark. This is an episode where we get President Clark and Mr. Morden. That's the right. double whammy. The double whammy of evil right there, man. Yeah. And and let's not forget Anna Sheridan, the, the actress playing oh, Anna yeah. Sheridan. That's right. And it wasn't who we might have been right. expecting if we forgot. Right. Because I, I, I brought my wife in, and I'm like, all right, watch, watch this. And she's like, I don't recognize her. I'm like... I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 yeah, we can't talk about that. All right, we'll get right. to that later, too. All right. Um, what was your high point of, epi- of this episode? 
the high point for this one for me was Delenn's reveal. Um, I thought yeah. it was very well done. It was really cool. Uh, and the, the look on Sheridan's face when he first saw her kind of, you know, lays things out for mm. things to come. So I mm. thought it was, I thought it was yeah. pretty neat. And she looked great. They didn't have she her fantastic. They didn't have the makeup right yet for the side of her bone crest. It was like right. sticking out a little bit. But um, other than that, other than that, it was great. I agree with you. The other one I had noted was because it's so big. Why don't you eliminate the entire non-home world while you're at it? Yes. One thing at a yes. time, ambassador. One thing at a time. <laughs> that's that's a pretty high point too. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. What was your low point? Low point was uh, the new Natoth gets a lot more screen time in this one, and she just did not do well with that at all. Just she, she couldn't she couldn't hold her own with with uh, um, uh, Andreas at all. So it was, it was disappointing. That and the other thing I have in my notes is exposition. This was a lot of a lot of telling, not showing. There was like zero real story here. It was all it was like a bunch of scenes where they dumped info. And then they moved on to the next one, and they it was kind of loosely interconnected with the others. But yeah, that I mean, and they had a lot to do. I mean, they had a lot yeah. to do in this episode, so they they really did, they just didn't have room for a story. Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, I have Mary Kay Adams is just not working out as Natoth. Here's what JMS said about it at the time. She says, "You have to remember this was not our decision, but Julie Caitlin Brown's in order to pursue some romantic lead parts." We made an offer equal to the other cast, but she opted to pursue films. And, of course, we know that later Julie Caitlin Brown becomes like an agent in, 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 in Hollywood. And she actually was the person responsible for getting a lot of the Babylon 5 actors to come to Dragon Con back in the 90s and early 2000s because she was tight with all of them and she was tight with the people that ran part of Dragon Con. And so she was able to kind of, because she was, she was an agent of some of them. Uh, but he says, we cast the best actor to come in the door to fill Natas' boots and we need that character there because of the prior knowledge she needs to have to fill her role in the story. Mary Kay Adams is, I think, trying to reinterpret the character. We're nudging her in the other direction. One way or another, this will be made to work. Well, <laughs> And that was where he also said he was thinking about doing the Murphy Brown secretary thing where he keeps changing them, but then he changed his mind. Um, what do you think about? Do we have an overacting? Do we have an Orin Zento award this time around? I, I really didn't have one for this one. Like I said, there wasn't really a whole lot of. I mean, I guess uh, Elizabeth Sheridan was. I don't know if that was overacting or just bad acting, mm. but I, I wasn't terribly impressed with that actress. But there wasn't anything egregious, I don't think. Well, at least Anna Sheridan is dead, so you're not going to have to worry about it anymore, right? I mean,. So no, they, Elizabeth Sheridan, his sister. Oh, Lizzie. Yeah, oh. Lizzie. Yeah, she was all right. I don't know. Uh, I, she didn't strike yeah. me. She she could be the little sister of Bruce Boxleitner, I guess. Right. Um, but I was just thinking about Anna. Um, you're not going to believe who I'm... Again, I don't have like a full-on hand him the trophy, the winner, because they were a horrible over-actor. But the, the person I thought came the closest that I'm going to give it to this time is Mira Furlan. <laughs> I know! She, not at the end. I thought she's wonderful at the end. But when she's in the, the monster makeup, right? She's got, yeah. the, she's, got the, the, she's got the crumblies all over her arms and everything. She kind of makes a meal out of, look at, look at me, I'm the monster. What all am right. I? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm like, you know, that's okay. That's, she she, she kind of pushes it as far as, you know, so. Right. 
All right. Anyway, uh, what was your most Babylon 5 scene? Man, there was a lot yeah. <laughs> in this one. It could have been every scene, pretty much. Uh, I settled on two. Uh, again, the lens reveal. That was a huge moment in, in the, the, the storyline. And Jakar's revelation about the shadows was, was very portentous. Oh, it was. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it, it was some heavy stuff all at once. I've, I've got something to say about that in just a second. But my most Babylon 5 scene, I kind of had a couple... One was when, and this is when I thought this is when I thought you were going to say, when the Narn ship comes out of the jump gate and the shadow ship pounces on it. Yeah, that was that there was, too. That was that was the biggest, I think, like space battle. There's not much of a battle to it. It was right. like, all right, we're coming out of the jump gate. Oh my god! <laughs> <You know. laughs> yeah, the shadows do not mess around. But that was pretty tough. That was cool. And then the other one I had was. And this is actually interesting because what I liked about it actually was a mistake, and I'll tell you how. When when Jakar finds out that they're that the ship is destroyed, he's like, "But nobody knew about it except." And who does he look he, at? Uh, he looked at well, Lanier walked in right at that moment. But who? But no, he looked at he looked at uh, he looked at Londo. Looked at Londo. He looks yeah. at Londo because he had out in the hall. He said, "Oh, I've sent a ship." Right. right, we're checking this out, and then what does Londo do? He goes straight to Morden. I, in case you right. wanted to know, the the Narns are up to something in the rim. Right, and so, so it basically Jakar is like, "I'm on to you." Looks right at him, and I'm like, "Okay, that was really well done." That Jakar is already yeah. on to him and knows what's up. But right. but JMS said the intent of that scene was that Jakar looked at both Londo and Sheridan and wasn't I, yeah, sure which one of them. Yeah, but he said, "I think in the editing we may have focused too much on Londo, and I never got the sense he was looking at Sheridan. It always felt I, like he was looking at Londo." It, you know, I got that at first, but then they did focus on on Londo, and that's when you could see it in in Andreas's eyes. He was mm-hmm. portraying the the character as putting it together right then and there. Oh yeah, oh uh, yeah. By the way, I don't know if Andreas if Jakar won this episode, but he was spectacular as always. He oh absolutely he he, he owned he, he may not have won the episode as a character but the actor owned this episode yeah he yeah. he was really really good in this one I th- I thought so. I mean he's he's good in all of them he was spectacular in this one yeah oh yeah whenever you give him something deep to kind of go into you know it's one thing when he's running around shouting about Malari but it's another when he's like you know the dark forces are moving. He would have been in Lord of the Rings and been perfect. You know what right. I mean? <laughs> and there was the, the scene when, when he first went to Londo and he's like, you know, I know we've had our problems in the past. It's time to put that aside because there's some bigger stuff coming down the road. He didn't even do that. Andy, he didn't even say, I know we've had our problems in the past. He literally said, we, he, he, he practically literally said, we do have problems between us that can only be solved with your blood. Comma. <laughs> but put that aside for a second, Lando. The fact that I want all your people's blood, put that aside for a second because we need to work start, work something out. I'm like, what a way to lead off that conversation, Jakar. <laughs> yes, I'd like to murder your entire civilization, but can we talk about something else for just a second? <laughs> Man. I mean, give him points for being honest, I guess. But Right. <laughs> I was like on the floor at that. I'm like, dang, Jakar. All right, whatever. Um, okay, my f- th- let's see. Did did you say favorite character moment? Because I lost track. Uh, no, I thought I thought we we're talking about the B five scene. 
We were, and I said mine was uh, Jakar's look of realization when he realized. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, so, so yeah, right, favorite so. character moment. Um, yep. I again, there are a lot of good character moments in this one. Sheridan had a lot of them. Uh, but the mm-hmm. one I went with was when at the very end, when Sheridan and Ivanova were were talking. You know, right when he found out that um, Jack got taken by oh yeah an unknown ship, and and you could see Sheridan putting the pieces together right there, and and coming to full realization how everything is going to play out. And he said, "Gets cold up here sometimes, doesn't it?" And she was like, "Yes, sir, it does." Yeah, and then. They could have been talking about the air conditioning in the in the bridge, but I, I don't think that's what they were talking about. No, and it won't be the spoiler alert. It won't be the last time we see John and the, and and Susan standing up there in the in the uh, command deck, worrying about the future. This will not, right. by any means, be the last time. Um, right. But uh, I talk about not a surprise. When, when, when the president calls Sheridan and, say, and, and Sheridan's like, yes, Mr. President, we have a person here with a bunch of evidence that shows that you assassinated your predecessor. And Clark's like, oh, really? I want you to put every bit of that on a ship and send it to me. <laughs> and then, like, we're supposed to be surprised when it disappears? Really? Right, right. I, the only thing shocking to me would have been if they had gotten to Earth. <laughs> I'd be like, wait, what? How did Clark let this slip through his fingers, man? You know, and and I don't think Sheridan was terribly surprised by it because he, you could tell in that conversation with the president that he was like, yeah, this something about this doesn't feel right, dude. He literally turned his back on the president for half the conversation. Right. I'm like, yeah, wow, that yeah, that was very effective. <laughs> yeah, man, can you imagine that? So. Yeah. Um, the other, okay, my favorite character moments. One was when Sheridan was talking about his wife and really getting emotional just because, again, it shows the range that Bruce Boxleitner brings to this role. Right. Just this amazing range. And the other one, I gotta say, Jakar talking about the great darkness returning and he mm-hmm. starts quoting from Keats or whatever. Yep. I mean, come on. A- Andreas as Jakar and. Weep for the future, Natoth. I mean, come on, man. That's it was peak. Good. it was good stuff. That's peak Babylon Five right there. Uh, what was your funniest moment? Hey, there wasn't a whole lot of humor in this one. No, um, but the funniest one was when uh, Malari in the beginning was waiting for you know the, the meeting to start, and Delenn and Jakar <laughs> were missing, and and he looks over at Lanier looking for her, and he says, "Well, Lanier says, well, she's indisposed." He goes, "Indisposed. She's in a cocoon." I thought that was really funny. Yeah, she's taking the most inopportune moment to explore possibilities of becoming a butterfly. <laughs> I, I, I do. The thing I like about that scene was when they're taking a vote and they kind of look at each other and they look at Kosh and he's just standing there like a statue. And I'm like, did anybody really think Kosh was going to indicate anything there? Come on. Right. He, the dude never I, sits down. I would, no. Does he have a butt? I was shocked <laughs> that he was even there. Right. I think he was just wandering through on his way to deliver some cryptic <laughs> remarks to the Pakmara, and he's like, oh, the council is meeting. Oh. <laughs> and so he just goes in there for a laugh. I think that was I all think it was. That would have been the perfect moment for Akashism. Yes. Some sort of just cryptic, nonsensical non sequitur. And. Oh, they, they didn't put one in there. Like the the audio didn't work or something. Where was where was Larry Dottilio when we actually needed him for a chance <laughs> to come up with a cautionism there? Or David Gerald did some good ones. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, he just said, "Yeah, the cat that meows at midnight 
doesn't <laughs> doesn't eat dinner at three. And they all be like, is that a yes or a no, Ambassador? We're not really sure how to interpret this. Okay. Um, let's see. My funniest moment, it, again, it wasn't kind of funny, but it was just a good funny character moment, is when um, when they arrest Jack and Lou Welch asks Sheridan if he wants to walk around the block a few times. Yeah. And I love Sheridan says, I appreciate your enthusiasm, Officer Welch. <laughs> that just cracks me up every time. I just love it because Lou Welch is a great character. He's funny. And he's, his yeah. appearances are growing now. And, and I love that Sheridan, I appreciate your enthusiasm. It's kind of like he's patting him on the head. You know, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but yeah, let's, let's, uh, you know, in retrospect, they would have been better off just putting, um, Jack out the airlock themselves and telling Clark there was a horrible accident like happened to Jakar's second uh, assistant that went out the airlock. Right. <laughs> uh, I have a few fact, uh, random factoids and notes. Do you have anything you want to throw in there? Or we covered it all? We covered a lot, uh, to be fair. The The only thing that I came up with was that we saw the alien healing device that I completely forgot it was even in this episode. Yeah, we remember it does show up again much, much later. And and that's right. kinda we kinda forget that it shows up again much sooner too. Right. And I so, thought that was a cool scene when, when Sheridan yeah. says, Eh, here, let me do it. Mm-hmm. I'm his commanding officer. I I've got responsibility for him. But yeah, I, that was uh that was I thought that was worth mentioning. I want to know how much damage it did to Franklin and Sheridan. I want to know why didn't they just line up like fifty volunteers and each one give a fingernail or something instead of them both giving like a bunch? I didn't understand that, but uh, yeah, I'm not so, sure that's how it works. Yeah, well, uh, we see shadow fighter ships for the first time. Yes, that was cool, and we saw a Narn take one out. That was really cool. Now you had to that was... give the ultimate sacrifice to do it, right? Right, but, but uh, it, it he'll never be able to do it again. No, that was, it was cool. cool. That was a that was a pretty intense scene because uh, they were they were running for their lives. You could feel how tense they were and and how you know dominating the the shadow fighters and techs were the the tech was and all that. So yeah, that was cool. It was. Um, Sheridan's wife died two years ago on a deep space ship, the Icarus. Didn't see any problem coming on the Icarus. <laughs> right. <God> almighty. <laughs> <sighs> Why not name it the. The oh crap! What was it? The the Lusitania, the Titanic, the Titanic Three or something. Andrea Doria, yeah. Um, Hindenburg. The um, it exploded. Um, by the way, I'll tell you this because it's only a factoid, not really a spoiler. That was Sheridan's second wife. More in the spoiler space. More in the spoiler space, which gets back to what I was saying a minute ago. Sheridan has now been on Babylon Five for two weeks, so he's that's why he was a little more comfortable with things. Um, Londo rats out Jakar to Morden. That, man, I'm not digging where Londo is going. Mm -hmm. He tells Morden that Jakar is sending out a ship. That was not cool. But, but, I think I have something about that in the spoiler space, so we'll get back to that in just a minute. Uh, Jack's attitude was chillingly familiar. Maybe what my side is doing is bad and wrong, but I'm on the side that's going to win, so that's okay. I really don't like that. Mm -mm. I wanted him out the airlock. And he does, he does the same little tip-of-the-hat salute be seeing you that Bester did in Season 1. Hmm. And they talk about that a little bit. They talk about there's maybe some connection with the Psychor. Um, ah, JMS on Jack. 
Yes, if Laurel Takashima had stayed with the station, either she would have pulled the trigger on Garibaldi or been directly involved in other ways, and we would have gone the rest of that season knowing it, but the characters not knowing it. Nice. Yeah. We so specul- you, you speculated that last, uh, last season. I did. Um, I thought that President Clark's call, telephone call to Sheridan, I thought it was a perfect call, Andy. It was a very strong call. Mm-hmm. That's all I'll say. <laughs> uh, Garibaldi very quickly started putting together those clues, didn't he? I thought that was interesting. He's like he's, he's yeah. on desk door one second, and next he's solving the riddle. Uh, why he didn't have he didn't yeah, have Jack he, holding him back with all his stupidity? <laughs> I can't. Read I don't this, know, Chief. boss. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, we we've given Jack crap all along. Um, why hadn't the Grey Council replaced Delenn if they're that angry with her for undergoing this transformation? They, the Grey Council is very erratic and unpredictable right now, so I don't think we can ask that question. Uh, let's see. Uh, JMS said that copies of the evidence were made, but the question is, what is the available evidence to be copied? Frankly, there isn't much. There are no witnesses, very little physical evidence. If you tried to make a case with what they've got, you'd be laughed out of the courtroom. So this is JMS basically saying, I had Jack and the evidence disappear because it was a dramatic moment on the show, but honestly, it didn't lose the good guys, so to speak, much. It wasn't a huge loss. It wouldn't have helped them much. Okay. Right. Uh, let's see. That's it. So who won this episode? I got to say Morden won this episode. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know he's not one of the main cast or anything like that, but he, he definitely won this episode. Wow. I like it. I'll never, you can never go wrong with Morden until the, when suddenly you realize right. you've gone completely <laughs> wrong with Morden. No, I like it. I have Sheridan again. I said as much as we've loved, come to love and appreciate Michael O'Hara and Sinclair from season one, Bruce Boxleitner is showing us unequivocally why he elevated this series so much when he came aboard. He has a range of emotions. He can switch between them multiple times within the same scene. And I thought he won these two episodes. That won't be the case forever. But these two were the Sheridan is new, and here he comes, and it's all a big thing. The one moment that I didn't like out of him in this episode, again, I thought in episode one he had some, some awkward moments. The one moment in this one I didn't like was when, when he looked, when Garibaldi said to him, I don't know you, and he, he could, I thought what he could have said is, I think we'll get along just fine, you know. And he goes, I think we'll get along just fine. And I'm like, where right. did that come from, Johnny? <laughs> I don't. Where did that line read? I didn't like that line reading. Um, but I thought Jakar was a close second. This was a good Jakar episode. All right. Yeah. What was your rating? Uh, I gave this one a two point five. There was a lot of cool stuff, but zero story. I just yeah. they, they, there there just wasn't much to, to tie everything together. Yeah, a lot of cool you, moments though. A lot of really cool moments. It would have been better if it had an A plot and a B plot. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It, yeah, not a lot of plot going on. Just a lot of uh, yeah. I have it uh, 3.5, and wow. I, said, I said it would be higher, but it's another talky-talky episode, though the talky was really good talky. Right. It, it, it was. I just – they could have done it – I don't know. They, they, they just didn't have – it was like all talky-talky. It was all yeah. exposition. No, you're right. All yeah, of it, yeah. 100% so. right. 100% right. I, I, I gave it the 3.5 purely on the quality of the talk, but you're right that that right. was what it was. No doubt about it. All right. So on our next installment, we're going to get to our spoiler section in just a moment. I have a couple of things. Um, on our next installment, we're going to cover 203, The Geometry of Shadows, and 204, A Distant Star. 
The Geometry of Shadows, Andy, is one of my all-time favorite episodes. I'm really looking forward to it. It's a good one. Oh, it's a it's good got, one. It's got some characters in it that are close to my heart. Oh, I love them so much. We'll put it this way. I've dressed like one of them at DragonCon before. Nice. I've met yeah. one of them. And what? I've met one of them. Oh, yeah, I have to. We'll get to that next. We'll get to that we'll next. Get, we'll get to next week. Uh, so, all right. So, spoiler warning. Spoiler warning. I don't have the little sound effect ready. Sorry, but jump gate activated. All right, we're in the spoiler section. So, if you don't want to know what happens after two o two, spoiler space. Yes, it's spoiler, spoiler space. space. This is correct. Yeah. All Come right. On. I think that Warren Keffer was a failed experiment. They wanted a street level character. And he just didn't end up being what they wanted to be, and so he goes out the airlock like, like a, well, a couple gets, others. He gets, gets zapped pretty good. He and, does. And that was, I, I don't know if that was in, intended from the beginning, if they were setting him up as, as a regular character for the shock value of his exit, because mm. that was shocking to me. I was like, oh. no! <laughs> I was like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> But no, I think that I've read that JML felt like he had all these people that were like kings and queens and bishops, and he wanted a couple of pawns. Right. But I think he's. I think that Keffer is going to be replaced by Marcus. Yes. So, and I like Marcus way better than Keffer. I agree. More stuff he could do. As the story changed, a ranger was more effective than a pilot. I agree. Yeah. Um, 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 Lizzie. So Sheridan has three wives over the course of the show. His first wife is. Elizabeth Lizzie Lockley. So both his oh, sister and his first wife yeah. were called Lizzie. Because in, in, in Day of the Dead, her roommate calls her Lizzie. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. So his first wife was Elizabeth Lockley, a warrior. His second wife was Anna Sheridan, a worker. Mm-hmm. And his third oh. wife was Delenn, religious. Yeah, that's interesting. At a convention several years ago, somebody asked JMS, said, so his first wife was, was warrior, second was worker, third was religious. Was the, you know, How did you figure that all out? And JMS kind of stood there blinking for a minute. He said, I'm smarter than I thought I was. <laughs> he didn't do it on purpose. It just happened. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's part it's, of his brilliance. It's, it's, it's always working in the back of his brain, <sighs> even amazing. when he's not aware of it. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I wanted to say really quickly, it's a good thing that the shadows destroyed that Narn ship. We don't think it at the time, but right. we figure out kind of later in retrospect it was a good thing because we know that if the shadows got exposed early, they would just go on a rampage and the first target would have been Babylon 5. And we know right. that in, the, in, a, in like the alternate timeline where that happens is where you see Ivanova going, you know, help, help, we're under attack, and there's explosions all around her, and they blow up. Right. That's because... And, and, and we're going to see on another episode later this season, I believe, or maybe next, yeah, is this season or next season, we're going to see Delenn go to Sheridan and say, you've got to stop asking questions and poking the, the shadow bear because the shadow bear is going to wake up and bite you, you know. Yep. And so it would have all been really bad if that Narn ship had showed up taking a bunch of pictures of shadows going, what? What? Who was that? <laughs> and then zipped on out the... Jump gate. That would have been bad. Right. We didn't know it at the time. All right. Um, oh, this is interesting. Last thing, but I think this is really interesting. JMS on how things could have been different. Somebody said, how would things have been different if Sinclair hadn't left and all that? He said, here's five characters. If Lita had stayed, her arc would be pretty close to Talia, 
but she would have been forming a strong link to Kosh. And I think that we see that later on that she has been touched by the Vorlons and becomes kind of Kosh's right-hand woman, right? She basically becomes Kosh's ambassadorial assistant for five minutes. Um, If Dr. Kyle had stayed around, he would have moved into a position of advisor paternal figure for Sinclair, which I think would have been interesting, and more of a scientist than a doctor. Okay, I don't know what that means, but I think paternal guidance father figure for Sinclair is interesting. Takashima would have been revealed as having been been in on the attempted assassination of Kosh and would have betrayed Garibaldi. Um, either giving him over to those in the coup or pulling the trigger herself. But we, but the characters wouldn't have known this for as much as another full season. That would have made for a fun season, too. Carolyn yeah. Sykes, that was Sinclair's first girlfriend, remember, before Catherine showed up? Carolyn mm-hmm. Sykes and Catherine Sakai. Okay, whatever, JMS. Uh, Joe Straczynski, uh, Jeffrey Sinclair, John Sheridan. Okay. John Sheridan. Right? Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> Carolyn Sykes would have gotten into major trouble with one of the major Earth courts. Got to be IPX. Yeah. I feel like she's the one that would have, either she or Catherine Sakai, one would have been on the ship with uh, uh, Zahadoom, the Icarus. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah. And finally, if Sinclair had stayed with B5 at this juncture, the events in Points of Departure, the reveal of Minbari's surrender, would have taken place in episode three instead of one. One would have basically been Revelations, and he would have been a bystander. Uh, the connections that, that Sheridan has. So basically, Sinclair wouldn't have had a lot to do. And I think this is the important thing. I don't think that JMS ever intended John Sheridan to be a character until he needed him when Sinclair left the show. But I think that JMS immediately realized that Sheridan was very important for one way. Sinclair's connections were all to Valen and the Minbari. But Sheridan allows for a different character to be connected to the Shadows and Zahadoom and Anna and all of that. Exactly. So yep. splits that. Yeah. Because the same person doing both would have been too much. Right. And and I think the the overall story arc was served better with, with uh, Sheridan coming on board and Sinclair leaving. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. All right. That's all I have. You have any last thoughts? You know, the only thing I have to say, and I should have brought this up earlier, but uh, when Sheridan was giving his, his speech in the first episode... You know, to the empty the empty command deck because it was after hours and there was nobody there. Yeah, I think it would have been perfect if when they panned it around to show the empty room, if Yafat Koto was sitting there listening. <laughs> Major Atube is still I, there, right? I, <laughs> I was almost expecting that, and oh, then I'm like, oh, it's not like happen. sitting back with popcorn, like right. <laughs> Yeah, Finally, somebody to talk to. Yes. <laughs> I've been sitting down here in the middle of the night for a whole year and a half now, man. Oh, that would have been beautiful. That would have been beautiful. All right. I nope. think on Other the, than that, I got nothing. That I, was, I think uh, we, we covered everything. That was a, uh, I love our callbacks, man. That was a great, a great uh, grace <laughs> note for the end. He has been Andy Fix. I have been Van Allen Plexico. This has been the, Battle, the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Join us in two weeks when we're going to meet some techno-mages. All right, we're out of here. We'll see you later, Andy. All right, take care, man. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.